Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, when the Bucks interview these head coaching candidates, how important is the coaching staff that that guy can put together? And is Adam Humphreys a must-sign for the Bucks? You know, he had 71 catches last season. He'll be a free agent. Can the Lightning change their style of play when it gets a little rough and tougher as we get closer to the playoffs to be better prepared for the postseason? And what is the over-under for Rays wins this year? I would have missed it by a ton a year ago. We answer all those questions correctly and much more on this mailbag edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Bursnick. Hey, if you didn't get the right gift for the holidays, it's okay. I'm going to bail you out. Our friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds, he's got you covered. Whether you need a statement piece like some diamond earrings, maybe a bracelet or a diamond necklace, or maybe you want to pop the question and get an engagement ring uh, for your loved one, our friend uh, Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds, he's going to pick out the right perfect jewelry piece to match your wife or girlfriend. And right now, for our listeners, you can save 20% off all jewelry purchases. That's right. 20% off all jewelry purchases. Just tell them you heard about it on Sports Day Tampa Bay. So don't go to the shopping mall. You go there. they got the big overhead. It means a bigger price to you. And he's got the best prices. And you're going to get 20% off on top of that. Go see him now at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. It's where I shop there. It's 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. All right, so a good mailbag segment today. We've got lots of questions, of course, about the Bucks coaching search, which when we last left off, we uh, did the podcast yesterday afternoon um, around 2 o'clock. Of course, the Bucks did complete their interview with uh, Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Um, he also talked to the New York Jets on Wednesday. And uh, now the Bucks are moving on to uh, talk to Minnesota Vikings defensive coordinator George Edwards. And a new name has surfaced that the Bucks will speak to, and that is Dallas Cowboys defensive backs coach Chris Richard. Now, Richard is actually the play caller, the defensive play caller for Rod Marinelli, who is the defensive coordinator. Uh, this is an interesting candidate. We'll get into him a little bit later, but he basically um, you know, started at USC, followed Pete Carroll over to Seattle, um, played in the league as a defensive back, uh, became a defensive backs coach there with the Seahawks, and then later the defensive coordinator. He's a young, dynamic guy that I'm told will absolutely smoke the interview. He will blow it away. So, uh, be interesting uh, when the Bucks get around to talking to him. They'll do that after the Cowboys uh, play the Seahawks, ironically enough, um, over the weekend. I think it's on Saturday, that game. So uh, there'll be more to come. You can follow all the uh, comings and goings with that coaching search on TampaBay.com. I'll have updates, of course, on the blogs throughout the day, and that'll, that'll continue all through the weekend. So uh, lots of good questions about the Bucks, about the Rays, about the Lightning. So I'm ready to get go, Steve. All right, well, before we get to the coaching search, Let's first look back at why we're here. So Ellis asked, did Dirk Cutter's decision to retain Mike Smith after the 2017 season largely contribute to him being fired? Well, I think it did in the sense that the defense was horrible and those, you know, they won a couple of the early games. Of course, they were 2-0. and You have to remember Mike Smith was fired after five games, okay? So they lost the next three. Um, so perhaps if he's not here, you know, maybe they don't lose all three of those games. And I don't know if that would have made a difference. 
the end of the day, Mike Smith had the worst defense in the NFL at the end of 2017, right? So there was the opportunity to reassess that whole situation. Now, obviously, he didn't have great players to work with, especially on the defensive line. That's why Jason Light went out and traded for Jason Pierre-Paul, got Bo Allen, Mitch Unrein went on IR, you got him too. Um, you know, and, and of course, uh, drafting Via Vea, who wound up getting hurt and, and didn't do anything for seven weeks at training camp in the regular season. So they had a lot of improvements to do uh, personnel-wise, and then there were some injuries. And I think that you know Mike, they figured that Mike Smith uh, would bounce back on defense uh, simply because they had better players. Well, that didn't happen. So yeah, you know there was. Uh, I think what hurt Dirk was you know a couple weeks into it after the Chicago game. That was the opportunity to fire him there. That didn't even look like the NFL that I know of. Guys were running scot free, and instead. Um, you know, Cutter said, what, what difference would it make just to replace one guy? It's just one guy. Well, we found out what difference it made when he replaced that one guy with Mark Dupner, and the defense got better with lesser talent because by that time they had had more injuries. So uh, I think it did contribute to it. Look, anything that prevented the Bucks from winning, right? I mean, when you, you know, when you really boil it down, <clears throat> you can look at this a million ways. I mean, Dirk had a great offense, brought a lot of things to, to the Bucks that were positive. But it's a bottom line business. You know, he went nine and seven and couldn't build on that. You know, when you have a winning season, you're trying to change the culture, you need to follow that up with a winning season. And then he went five and eleven and five and eleven. So anything that prevented them from winning games, like their defense, which certainly did, um, is is a, a very substantial reason why he got fired. All right, Greg asked, I firmly believe that the reason Jason Light was retained was because of his relationship with Bruce Arians. The Bucks have some talented pieces on offense and need to win now. Do you think they or Jason Light could afford to gamble on an inexperienced coach? Look, I don't, I don't think necessarily that, that they had Bruce Arians as a target. Now, he may well end up being their head coach, but I don't, I don't think you keep Jason with the idea that, you know, unless you've already talked to him, and, and there's still, I believe, the Arizona Cardinals on his rights, so you've got to have to ask for permission and then probably give them something in order to get him. They go way back. There's no question about that. But, you know, Arians was, is retired um, there were some health issues involved with that as well. I think that um, there will be discussions, but you know he lives on a lake in Georgia. His wife is very happy with him being retired. I don't know. I know he said he would come out to coach the Cleveland Browns, and then later he said, I'll talk to Jason. So it's possible. Um, but I don't think you make the decision to keep Jason specifically for that. What I've said about Jason Light um, is this, that you know, not every decision he made was the wrong one. He certainly has his share, and he certainly has contributed to uh, what is an even worse record that he has than, you know, than Dirk Cutter because he was part of a 2-14 and season, although you could argue, you know, Lovey Smith had the 53-man roster um, power at that time. So, you know, I think what the Glazers like to do is have one person that they deal with on football. And, you know, if you follow the bouncing ball, so to speak, when Malcolm owned the team – and in 95, they hired Tony Dungy. Rich McKay was their guy. Rich McKay was part of the Culver House Trust, became the GM of the Bucks. They trusted him. He got a stadium deal for them. So Rich had the power. Rich had the 53. And then John Gruden wins the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, Rich isn't as powerful anymore. John wants a new general manager. They let Rich go to Atlanta. He hires Bruce Allen. Then they got to know Bruce and John for a while. But another guy in the building was Mark Dominic. When they decided to fire John and Bruce, they had Mark Dominic, who had worked 19 years with the Bucks. Now he became the guy with the owner's ears. And so after Mark, you know, hires and fires two coaches and he gets swept out, they knew where they were going next. They were going to Lovey Smith. And Lovey Smith 
is somebody who they had employed before that they knew because he was on Tony Dungy's staff. He had been an established coach. He was going to get the 53-man roster, so they trusted Lovey. Lovey hired Jason. So now after Lovey gets fired, Jason becomes the guy that they know. I simply think the Glazers don't have anyone to to navigate a coaching search for them. And, um, you know, they like Jason. Uh, has he been perfect? No. Has he been honest with them about his mistakes? Yes. Um, and he's, you know, he's got one year left and an option year, and we'll see what happens after that. Um, whether or not, you know, it's because of Bruce Arians and, and, and you needed him to sort of uh, court Bruce out of retirement, I think that's far-fetched. I think, you know, it would be short-sighted unless you knew for a fact that Arians was your guy and everything they're doing now is just a dog and pony show. I don't sense that. I think they really are trying to keep an open mind. I think they'll talk to Bruce, but I don't think it's a guarantee by any stretch from what I understand that he's going to be the head coach here. I, I mean, while it could happen, it's certainly far from uh, something that they expect. All right. Well, Douglas asked, when considering unproven head coaching candidates, a la the three reported coaches that are interviewing for the Bucks job now, they've never been a head coach before. How important is the staff that they think they can put together in the final decision-making process? Is this what we should be focused on more than the candidate itself? I don't think more than the candidate itself. I, I think, um, obviously, the head coach is, is the most important guy in your franchise um, for the most part because he's the one that's talking to your fans every day, talking to the team every day, setting the tone. It's very important. You, I, I don't know if it's more important. Uh, it's all part of the package, right? I mean, if you're hiring a first-year head coach – um, you're accepting that there's going to be a learning curve. But the first questions you ask or among the first questions you ask is, okay, so tell me about your staff. Okay, let's take Eric Bieniemy for example. Okay, so Eric Bieniemy is in the Kansas City offense. He's the offensive coordinator, but he's never called plays except at Colorado. Now, he's done it before, but he did it at Colorado. Okay, so what is your plan? Eric, are you calling the plays, or have you got an offensive coordinator that can come in and knows that Kansas City – Offense. Now, I'm guessing Andy Reid, because in the past he's done this, is not going to let Eric Bieniemy take his staff. Okay, so if he has a quarterbacks coach, for example, that he likes, um, and he does, he's not going to get to bring him as his offensive coordinator. So you need to know just you know almost all the big staff positions, especially I would say offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, offensive line coach is very important. Uh, the Bucks have a defensive line coach in Brenson Buckner that is under contract for another year. That'll be up to the head coach if he wants to retain him, if he knows him, likes him, thinks he does a good job, what have you. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, first-year head coaches, 20-year head coaches. I think the staff is one of the first things you want to know because many of these guys pair up, and it's important now because there's eight openings. That's a lot of coaches that have been dumped onto the open market, but all those staffs are going to start forming, and it becomes musical chairs. If I'm, if I'm the best offensive line coach, I'm going to take, you know, take the best offer I can get, number one, but I also don't want to sit here and wait to see if you're going to get a head coaching job. At some point, I have to take care of my family. So the longer this drags out, those really good assistant coaches that are, that are so important to you winning and losing are going to start going to other programs. So it's all kind of tied up in there. Um, you know, but when I look at guys like Mike Nagy or Doug Peterson that were first-year head coaches, you know, they did a nice job of getting some really good assistant coaches. I mean, um, Peterson, you know, wound up with Frank Reich as his quarterback's coach. Well, now Frank, you know, is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts and doing a really good job. John DiFilippo was his offensive coordinator so or quarterback's coach. So, you know, there's all kinds of, of, uh, of ways to look at it. But I think you're hiring a head coach, but can that head coach attract the right staff?
Z Football asks, what are your thoughts on Chris Richard versus Eric Bieniemy, and who do you think is a better fit for the Bucks? Such a great question. I don't know either man, so I'm I'm kind of like flying blind here a little bit. It's it's hard to really judge that, but um, you know there are some people that believe that because this is such a unique job in that you're telling you're telling the head coach whoever that is your quarterback is Jameis Winston. He's in his fifth and final year under contract. We either have to franchise him, sign him to a long-term deal. We got to do something with him, or we're going to lose him after this year. So offense becomes really important, in my opinion. You know, um, again, this gets back to if you're Chris Richard, and, and I don't have a problem hiring a defensive coach. I think you got to hire the best head coach. Um, some people think that you know because of this situation that you, you, you come with a quarterback that's got kind of a one-year prove-it thing. Um, that it needs to be an offensive coach to, to make sure that side of the ball doesn't fall down. You can look at it another way and say, well, if you had a, a really good defensive co- head coach that could, that could you know, buttress the defense, then some of those 34 to 32 games don't happen. Maybe you win 32, 20, 26. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of ways. You know, that helps the quarterback too you know, if you have a good defense. So there's a lot of ways to look at it. I, I think that at the end of the day, you go into it thinking you want one thing, but until you sit down with the guys and see their vision and see who their staff is, like the previous question, um, and kind of make a projection there. I mean, it would have been really easy a year ago. You know, a year ago, if you're looking at Matt, Matt Nagy, you're like, yeah, that guy checks all the boxes. Comes from the Kansas City offense where he called plays. Want to bring that to Jameis. Want to have a new quarterbacks guy for him. You know, that makes the most sense. Um, if you go with Richard or a defensive coach, it's all based on who they think they can bring and what, what kind of offensive system and how that guy will fit Jameis Winston. All right, T. Hart asked, does the search firm stick around after the head coach is hired and assist the new head coach in finding assistance? I don't know. I, I would tell you if I did, but I, my, my, my belief is this, that the, head, that the search firm is, is there to help background check potential head coaching candidates. I don't think they're necessarily interested in helping somebody, um, you know, get an offensive coordinator. Although I suppose if they have background on those guys, you might be able to utilize that if they've done background on guys that, you know, are potential head coaches and, you know, currently you want to hire them as a coordinator. I suppose you could tap into that index. But um, from what I understand, they're there to assist in hiring the head coach. They're not going to make the decision, um, but they're certainly going to collect the candidates and, you know, in in many instances, they're going to make contact to gauge interest in your job. So, uh, you know, almost like a headhunting firm would call, you know, blindly call people and say, hey, I represent a company. In this case, I represent the Bucks. Have you considered leaving, say, this particular college or uh, whatever? You know, what do you think about the Bucks job? Um, So I I, I sense that's sort of what their role is. Um, I really don't know if they're going to continue on after the head coach's name. Michael asks, do you think the Bucks release Jason Light after he finds the next coach? From what I understand, he has another year on his contract, and then it's up to the club option. And it's possible that they could do that. Um, you know, it, it's also just as possible if they won, um, if he makes the right hire. You know, I mean, I think a lot of that is, you know, did you get the right guy? Um, are we sure he's the right guy? Can he follow up the first season if he wins with a second season? So I think Jason's going to stick around as long as that head coach has success. Um, and, I mean, it's possible, you know, you could get the head coach in here, um, you know, sort of you know, let, him, let him have Jason as his assist, you know, to assist in the personnel decisions. And then 
you know, just depending on, on what you're doing with Jameis and other things, decide, you know what, Jason had another bad draft or, or maybe the free agents weren't good. We need a new general manager. We like our coach. We need a new general manager. Everybody's evaluated at the end of the year. Um, you know, Jason, this will be his second head coach that he's hired. So I don't think he'll get a chance at a third. Um, if the quarterback were to fall down, then you have to ask yourself, do you want him picking your next quarterback? So there's a lot of, a lot of things, you know, as far as evaluation goes, but, um, I would say that, that, uh, there's a, there's a good chance he's going to hire a guy that will want him to, to be GM and that he'll stay here, but that's totally based on how that coach does probably in the first year, to be honest with you. Steven asked, other teams have shown an interest in Todd Munkin as their head coach. Do the Bucks have any plans to interview him? He did help the Bucks to the best offense in team history and is familiar with Jameis Winston. We just need a good defensive coordinator. You know, that's a great question, and I hope that the Bucks aren't being short-sighted about this, but I fear they might be. Um, you know, I was sort of surprised that, that Jason Light said that we we're going to hire outside, you know, just out of hand. I mean, they have good coaches on that staff. I, I don't – I don't think Dirk's coaching staff was the problem. We've talked about Mike Smith, but as far as the position coaches, et cetera, go. And look, Todd Munkin's been a head coach. He was a head coach at Southern Miss. He's been in the NFL, um, you know, twice now with Jacksonville. He obviously elevated uh, to offensive coordinator and play caller and had the number three overall offense in the, in the NFL this year. I mean, he made a, a big contribution. I've seen what he's done with Mike Evans. Um, I've seen him, you know, help. Uh, other players, you know, on, on the team and just, you know, kind of, I mean, help, help Dirk Cutter build what was the third best offense in the NFL last year. And that's not, that's not a, an easy thing to do when you're talking about the Bucks because they have never had a good offense. So um, I think Munkin's going to make a good head coach one day. Right now the Jets and the Bengals are going to interview Todd Munkin. Um, there's a lot of enthusiasm for him in New York as far as some of the writers go because they got the young quarterback in Sam Darnold. So I think that the Bucks are being short-sighted. Here's the problem. I always say this. If you listen to this podcast, you know it. Have the press conference, right? Because Dirk Cutter was standing right where Todd Munkin is right now. I mean, you know, Dirk Cutter was the offensive coordinator for Lovey Smith. Did really, really well on offense under Jameis Winston his first year. They fire Lovey Smith, and they go inside and hire Dirk Cutter. You hire Todd Munkin, you're doing exactly the same thing. You're hiring the offensive coordinator for a fallen head coach for continuity's sake, et cetera. Well, you know, he had Jameis Winston last year as his offensive coordinator, and really Jameis had sort of an up-and-down season. You can, you can question how much of that was the suspension, the layoff, all that. Um, but I think that they just can't sell it. I think a lot of this is about perception. And, you, you know, if you're the Bucks, you have to hope that, you know, you don't let a really good coach walk out of here, and that's why I would at least interview him. Because what his thoughts are as an offensive coordinator may be totally different as a head coach. Maybe he has all the answers, right? Or maybe he has some answers, and, and, and maybe he's a better candidate than Eric Bieniemy or somebody that doesn't know Jameis Winston. But I sense that this is about selling it. It's about change. It's about selling change. And I think it would be a hard sell uh, because it's a business to say, well, we found our coach, and he was on the staff all along. His name is Todd Munkin. On the other hand, they got to hope that Todd Munkin doesn't turn into Bill Walsh. Aaron asked, I don't understand why George Warhop was allowed to keep his job as long as he did. Since he's been with the Bucks, the run game and blocking was consistent for one year in 2015, and since then, just consistently bad. What offensive line coach do you see couldn't get the most out of these players? 
Well, I'd have to think about that. I don't, you know, don't have my list of offensive line coaches in front of me, but I would say this about Warhop. Um, outside of Donovan Smith and Ali Marpet, who do they draft? What did he have to work with? Um, you know, they didn't draft offensive linemen, and I'm sorry. You know, there's a lot of really good coaches out there. You know, I want to be Tom Brady's quarterback coach, right? I want to be, I want to be the Giants running backs coach because I look really good with Saquon Barkley running the ball. You see what I'm saying? Like uh, so much of a perception of an of, of a of a assistant coach is how well his players are. Well, you gotta have you gotta have players. I mean, look, they they just didn't invest. They got they got Ryan Jensen this year, and good on them. He still led the NFL, I think, in penalties, or certainly led the Bucks with about eleven or twelve. So you know, it, it's hard to, for me to evaluate George Warhop and the job he did simply because they didn't really invest in offensive linemen. You know, and so I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to grade him. I don't think he's the best in the NFL. And I think it's fair to say that, look, they couldn't run the ball and and they couldn't run block. And the quarterback got hit a lot and he had the 12th most sacks in the league and all that. So you could just look at the the sheer data and say you needed a change there at offensive line that it's unacceptable. Um, But I have a tough time really, you know, pinning everything on a coach when the organization does very little to give him any kind of talent on that side of the ball. TL asks, would you say Adam Humphreys is a must-sign for the Bucks this offseason? Well, first of all, I don't know what a must-sign is. I, 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 I know what you're saying. You know, um, I, I do believe this, though. There are certain glue guys on every team, right? And, you know, it was interesting watching Troy Aikman call uh, one of the games late in the season at Dallas, he was talking about Adam Humphreys, and he said what everybody says, which is, man, Adam Humphreys, if he played for New England, he'd catch, a, he'd catch 100 passes from Tom Brady. A couple things. One, he looks like every white slot receiver that New England's ever had, right? And his idol was Wes Welker, so there's that. Um, aside from that, though, Adam Humphreys is just a really good football player that came out of nowhere. Didn't catch a lot of balls at Clemson, wasn't drafted because he didn't have great measurables. But all he's done is work himself into a really impactful slot receiver. And, you know, when you look at the Bucks and you say, okay, Deshaun Jackson is not going to be back because they owe him $10 million and it's not guaranteed and all the problems you had with him anyway. So if he's gone, you got Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are your two primary receivers. Pretty good start right there. Okay, who else? You know, let, let's say Godwin gets hurt. I mean, you know, to me, Adam Humphreys is, is, is an invaluable piece of their offense. He didn't really have a role early in the season because he was like their fourth receiver. Um, but he still managed to catch 71 balls. He's gotten better every year. Um, he's reliable. So I would sign him, but it always comes down to value, right? Like, you know, he's going to test free agency, I think, at this point. He made it through four years. From what I understand, he was asking for a lot of money going into the season. I would imagine that price tag went up. All it takes is one team. One team. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Team to say, hey Adam, you're worth eight million dollars a year to us, and guess what? He's probably gone. 
So it's it's not up to the Bucks. It's now at in Adams court. He gets to decide where he goes. But if I were the Bucks, and I know they're doing this, I'm working hard to get him re-signed because Jameis has chemistry with him. He's a clutch receiver. He's gotten better every year. And he's a glue guy. He's a guy that you want in your locker room and on your football team. Les asks, when it comes to national recognition, would you consider Mike Evans the offensive version of Gerald McCoy? He's on a Hall of Fame pace to start his career, and no one notices. Plus, he's doing all this on a below-average team. Wish he would get more national love. Well, I mean, there's parallels in that he plays for a bad Bucks team that has had one winning season, and, and you know, Gerald McCoy had two in nine years. So, yeah, I think that I, I, I think that Mike Evans, where he's at in his career, is where Gerald was you know, after four years in his. Now, Gerald had a couple of injury-prone years his first two years, so he got a slow start. This guy has the quickest receiver in NFL history to 6,000 yards. So when you think about what he has done from a historic standpoint, um, you could argue he's a better player at his position than McCoy even was a defensive tackle, which is saying something because Mike's only been to one Pro Bowl. I imagine he'll go to one this year, even though he was an alternate. Um, Mike's a special talent, you know, he, j- he just is. And it is unfortunate that you watch a guy's career. He's had four years now he's played. You know, most NFL careers last shy of that. And, you know, his best football is, you know, may maybe still ahead of him a little bit, but a lot of it's already been put on the field for four years. And and it and it ended up not getting him any closer to the postseason. And that's a shame. That's what's wrong with, with you know, the Bucks being out of it for eleven years. Think about the number of players, Levante David and Gerald McCoy. It's been a lot of guys come through here, give up their best years of their career, and it resulted in no postseason. So you hope that's not Mike's fate. But right now, as long as you're on a small market team that doesn't win, you're not going to get that attention that you probably deserve nationally. All right, Adam asks, and we'll switch topics a little bit here. Do you think the NFL should change the playoff seating so that a team tied with the best record in the conference, for example, the Los Angeles Chargers, don't have to play three road games to get to the Super Bowl? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with that necessarily. I still, I, th- I think the problem with that is you have to make sure that there's an emphasis on winning the division. Um, you want to reward division winners. So if you're going to reseed, does that mean if the if a wild card team has a record of of 10 and 6 and a division champion has a record of 7-9 are we going to give that 10 and 6 team because we think they're better a higher seed I don't think you can reseed the entire field I think you can look at the division maybe the division champ maybe the division uh, uh, winners and do that but it's tough to do I mean do we think the playoffs are broken I guess that's the biggest thing it's like I I think that the best teams earn the bye weeks and there's and you know like there will be a bump this weekend when we watch these wild card games. I guarantee you the two teams that win in the wild card this weekend because they're the only games on TV. Uh, everybody will be like, "Wow, they could go, they could go to the Super Bowl. They're impressive, man. I wouldn't want to face them." Name the team that was off last week that's in trouble. You'll hear, "Man, the Patriots could be in trouble," or "Man, the Saints could be in trouble." But then you realize, hey, there's a reason why they earned that bye week. They're better. They're better than the team that had to play this week. Yep. And then typically they play and then they get, you know, they get beat and you go, oh, okay, I remember the Saints. I remember the Patriots. So, you know, don't get too excited about the wild card winners. Um, I guess you could reseed. I'm still – I'm not really convinced, like, how far you want to take that, though, because I, I think the NFL playoffs are structured pretty well. All right, we'll switch to hockey now. And Chris asks, the Bolts finesse high-octane offensive style hadn't got them to the cup. Any change they will tweak their style as we get closer to the playoffs to be better prepared? 
Not ready to make the 90s Bills comparison yet, but not complaining with all the wins either. Yeah. Well, all they do is win. And, you know, right now they are head and shoulders, as you know, Steve, above any team in the NHL. You don't go an entire month without losing in regulation, without being elite. And they've played heavy teams. They've played fast teams. You know, the one thing about, you know, I think in the postseason, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but I, I think like any postseason, you know, officials don't want to determine the outcome of games. So, you know, there's going to be more clutching and more grabbing, and, and they're not looking to create power play chances. And sometimes that penalizes the faster, better team because now all of a sudden, you know, where, where they would normally get those calls, maybe they're not getting them all in the postseason. It's not really fair. Um, I've but, never understood that in the playoffs, whether it's football, whether it's hockey. Yeah. If you call it differently in the postseason than you did the regular season, you are impacting the game. I mean, You're when, right. they say, when they say the officials don't want to impact the game, when you change it, when all of a sudden that was a hook in the regular season, but it's not in the postseason, or that was pass interference, you're, you're affecting the game. I mean, what we saw all year, what we judged was to make the, the best teams the best, you've now yep. changed it, and I've never I understood agree. that. And I've never understood in hockey when the time with the playoffs, when you want to showcase your game and showcase your sport, you're scoring less goals because you're letting – teams hold you're letting them get away with interference more i've never understood that that i would think in the playoffs you want more goals especially for a sport like hockey which is still growing but is 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 behind football and basketball and others where you're you know you now have eyes on you and you make it hard to score goals i've never understood that with hockey i just think that you know there is a there is sort of this and, and I don't know that they meet about it or they talk about it as officials, but like they, they you don't want the human element mm-hmm. to determine outcomes of games. And I know what you're saying in that if you call it one way, you need to call it the whole way. Otherwise, you're penalizing the team who is fast, who 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 would take advantage of their speed and get power plays and all that. Um, same thing with football, or whatever. But as soon as a guy in a striped shirt waves his hands and blows a whistle, now all of a sudden everybody looks at him funny and says, "Wait a yep. minute, what's going on here?" You know, could could we be watching something here that's fixed? Could we be watching something here that is going to be determined not by the teams or the players, but by the guys, you know, because no one pays to go watch guys officiate. Um, I, I just think there's a certain level of skepticism and, and a need to show that these games um, are indeed uh, legit, that, that there's nothing scripted about it, that it's, you know, there, there's nothing funny about it. The league isn't favoring one team over the other. So the least, the less you can involve officials, the more they think that the teams will figure it out on the ice or on the field. I, I, that's the mentality, and I kind of understand it. Um, but you're right, Steve, that it's not fair to a, to a team that um, can take advantage of its speed during a regular season and then all of a sudden gets cooked and grabbed and clutched and held, and now they're not calling those plays when they would be on a power play, and that's one of the strengths of their teams. Yeah, now, and to get to Chris's question, too, he's asked about tweaking their style. I think if you look at this year's Lightning team compared to some of the ones of the past, they have gotten a little grittier, I'll say. You know, Eric Chernak definitely adds more, you know, sandpaper to this lineup. Adam Ernie does compared to, and even Tony Sorelli compared to, say, Corey Conacher, who was on the team last year. That they, they're, they're not, look, they're not Anaheim, they're not Los Angeles, they're not going to, you know, sit there and just, you know, lean on you and bang on you the whole time. That's not their game. Their game is speed and skill. But I think they've added some elements that, it, you know, give them some more grit to the, 
their game that, you know, I think, you know, that was why they brought JT Miller in for Vlad Nemestikov. They were kind of, you know, both good centers, good, could also play the wing, about the same age, skill set, but JT Miller was a little bigger, a little grittier than Vlad Nemestikov. I, you know, and I think you're seeing that with, with some of the lightning moves. And it may not be as noticeable because it, it's not like you brought in real big heavy guys and, and all of a sudden now you've got a bruiser fourth line. That's not what the lightning are going to do. But they have added a little more grit to it, which hopefully helps them in the playoffs. Yeah, I would just say that when I watch them play, like the one thing that I thought, you know, do they have somebody that will move a guy out of the crease that's standing in front of your goaltender, you know? Do you have that physical presence that'll put somebody on their butt, um, or are you just going to let them, you know, muscle their way in there? And and that's, but I'm with you, Steve. I think this team has proven it can play anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the one thing about size, size is great, but you got to catch the guys first. You know, um, the, you know, a lot of times speed will beat will beat just sheer size. The skill will do that. Uh, I think they're plenty skilled and they're tough enough. You're right. I mean, they got guys that can scrap. They just have to be committed to playing defense and committed to moving people out and not letting them camp in front of their goaltender at times. And, um, you know, I, I look, if you got a problem with the Lightning the way they're playing right now, um, yeah, the postseason is a little different. But, you know, the better team usually wins, I think. All right, Cody asks, is it hard to talk about the Lightning because they're so good compared to other teams who are most of the time can feel like a train wreck? Yes, I think it is. I mean, I, I think it's a nice change for Tampa Bay. I mean, the Rays haven't been relevant in a while, and they won 90 games last year, and that was fun to talk about them winning. Um, it's just something different. But, um, I mean, it's not hard. I guess it's not hard to talk about them, but maybe they're taken for granted. And all the towns in the world, though, if you have a successful franchise like the Lightning, they should be more appreciated here by contrast of the other two. Um, and I know the race had their, their run of success, and then hopefully they're back on that track now. But, I, I mean, I don't think people understand how good this hockey team is. I don't think that you can talk enough about them. I don't think that, um, you know, when you look at the entire NHL, what, where they rank right now, the kind of lead they have, um, that, that, you know, the, I'm sure the rest of the league's talking about them. I would hope that people are talking about them here more than they are. But we know we live in the South. This is a football area. Um, you know, uh, and, and even though the Lightning are kings right now and have been for some time, maybe they don't get enough run. I don't know. What do you think? I don't, I don't know if it, it is harder to talk about them. And I think it's more because at this point, the playoffs are a foregone conclusion. Sure. So it's kind of waiting till April. And granted, yeah. it's January 4th. Right. Um, you know, I think it's just that. And, and look, what debates do we have on this team? Okay, when this player gets healthy, who's the the 13th guy that's going to be or the 12th forward who's not going to play? There's no drama right. on who's on which line, who's I mean and it's it's a veteran team that's deep, that's been together a long time, that knows each other very well. That it's it's not that it's hard to talk about them, it's just we're waiting for April. And it's it's kind of, you know, let's just hope they have their game ready for April and that there's not many injuries and you know, which is a tremendous problem, and, and kudos to Steve Eiserman and Julian Brisebois that you know this team, you know, eight years in the building from those two, are, are at a, a, such an elite level right now and head and shoulders above every other team right now. And and you mm-hmm. know, now whether that translates to a cup this year, we'll see. Uh, they're going to be the odds-on favorite, but you still got to play the games and win four out of seven four times. 
Those are all good points, and uh, you know I'm excited to, to to get to the end of the season and get into the postseason because it's, it does seem like a foregone conclusion. But a lot can happen between now and then with injuries, with different things. I mean, you don't you can't take for granted, you know, that everything's going to go smooth the rest of the year. And look, they're gonna they're gonna hit a, a spot somewhere in the regular season where they're gonna lose, you know three games in a row or four out of five or, you know, go on. I won't say a losing streak maybe, per se, but maybe they're going to have, I mean, look, it's going to be, you know, the other goalies are standing on their head and, you know, Vasilevsky let a couple through. And I mean, that happens in a season. You don't go, you know, you don't go through this, the right, the, the, the regular season, the way the lightning are playing now for 82 games. I mean, you're human, That's you're, true. you know, they're going to have a spot where they dip a little bit. That It happens to everybody. And when I say dip, okay, you lose three or four. It's not, you know, every team goes through that. That's right. And, and that's when all of a sudden it's going to be, oh, no, are the Lightning, you know, not prepared? And, and They peaked too soon. Yeah, that's well, what you're going to hear. Exactly. I mean, soon. we talked about that last year with the Lightning. Mm-hmm. I mean, going into the playoffs mm-hmm. and, you know. Oh, they were limping home in the regular season, if you remember. Right. You know, can they hold on just to, to take the top seed in the East? I mean, they didn't win the yeah. President's Cup last year. They were all season. They were supposed to win the President's Cup. They didn't. I mean, Nashville right. and Winnipeg both scored more than them. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. No, I agree. So Sam asks, should the NHL change the format of the All-Star game so that deserving players like Ryan McDonough can get a bid instead of every team automatically getting a player? And if you missed it, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov made the All-Star game in San Jose this year. Brayden Point is one of the last ones in. You're trying to get votes to get him in the All-Star game. I don't know. This sounds a lot like baseball to me. Um, I understand why they do it. It's it's a fan's game. If, the, if you're a fan of, of these other teams, do you want to see at least a player? Um, or would you be okay with an all-star game that didn't have any representatives? You know, is it going to be too too skewed towards the big market teams that can you know, uh, however they do the votes? Or well, the uh, hard part is because I, they play I, I mix. I have mixed feelings about it. You know, the hard part with hockey is because they play three on three in the all-star game. You don't need many players. That's true. So for each division, you know, each team gets one, and then there's only like four other players that get to go. There you go. You know, last year, if you remember, the, the game was here in Tampa. And so mm-hmm. Hedman, Kucherov, Stamkos, Vasilevsky, and then Point was selected yeah. when Hedman got hurt. But it was pretty much each That's team right. in the in their division got one player, and the Lightning got all the extras. That's right. And you know, there's not there's not a lot of extra players as far as after one per team because instead of playing five on five hockey, you're playing three on three, which is more exciting and, and better for the event, absolutely. But it does limit then how many All Star players go. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what they can do about it. I think the biggest thing is that, like you said, it's three on three. All right, we'll switch to baseball now. And Les asks, "What is your over under for the Rays this year? Can't see them catching lightning in a bottle two years in a row. I've got them at eighty three and a half. Plus, I'm concerned about the bullpen again." Wow, he's got them at eighty three and a half. This guy, like Mister Vegas here, I, I I'm just to say they should win a hundred. No, I said they were going to lose a hundred last year. They won ninety. Uh, be hard to duplicate that. I don't think it's a one and done. I think I think they stumbled onto something here, and I think they've actually improved their team and are continuing to improve it. So I'm going to say, I don't know, eighty, maybe eighty four, eighty four games might be, eighty five games might be the the under over. I don't know. So you're taking less is over. What's that? You're taking less is over. At I'm taking his over at eighty three and a half. Yeah, I mean personally, I mean look, in eighty three and a half, most years would be a fine season for the Rays, but. They've they've kind of set the bar higher now at ninety, and to win the American League East, you're gonna have to go way past that. I mean, mm-hmm. even though it's gonna be hard to win ninety again, and you know, with, with teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox that you got to play nineteen times each, but 
I, I think this is a young core. I think they've gotten better. I think their pitching will be better next year. I think they think what they've done with the opener, they'll they'll figure they'll get a closer here at some point, which is absolutely going to help them. Um, yeah, I mean, I why why shouldn't they push this thing forward? I'm sure they're thinking they're going to win more than 90. Look, I like I like the addition of Charlie Morton. So now you have two bona fide starters, and then Tyler Glass now is your third. You hopefully the second half of the season are going to get some help from Anthony Bonda and Brent Honeywell, who are coming off Tommy John surgery. Right. Yep. You've got a lot of young pitchers who were open last year and are all going to be back. I like the pitching a lot. We'll see who their closer is going to be. Yep. I question on this team, and it's not a question, but last year they had such timely hitting. They, they, did. they, didn't, they didn't hit great all year, but they hit when it mattered, and they put them together in bunches, which is what I didn't think they could do going into last season. It's hard to do. It's yeah. hard to do in the majors. Yeah. Most people are getting away from that. They're getting to the long ball. Right, and they were very timely hitting. And can they duplicate that? With all these young players, can they duplicate that going into next season? And I think that's going to be their biggest question mark as far as – you know, offensively, can they string hit after hit after hit again to start rallies again? Because they're not built around the long ball. No. So, and if they can do that again, and I didn't think they could last year, if they can do that, then they'll be very successful, and I think they can get near 90 wins again or you know, possibly even above it. If they don't, then I think you're looking closer at a 500 or just a little bit over 500 team. But you also got players that'll be here the whole year. I mean, guys uh-huh. like Tommy Pham is going to help you. You know, you might might see uh, was it Austin Meadows? Meadows will be up. Yeah, he'll be the third be outfielder. Up. So I mean, I think they got better players, and then the young mm-hmm. guys. If you know, they're going to have to duplicate what they did last year. But geez, Louise, I mean, look yep. what these young guys did when they came up. And then you know, Willie Adamas will have a full season. Yep, won't be his first trip to the majors. So his, you know, they have so many guys. I guess Steve that have upside. And yeah, you could have some guys, you know, certainly not duplicate what they did a year ago. Mm-hmm. But I think I think their roster was much better at the end of the year than it was anything compared to what they started with. So if you start out that way and can and and those guys get better as I think they will, I think the sky's the limit. I mean, I think they're they're really building a really nice core here. I, I agree. I mean, I'll be curious if Kevin Kiermaier can stay healthy this season. And, yeah, and how he I mean, progresses offensively. Their offensive yeah. production at catcher is going to be less because you remember Wilson Ramos had a phenomenal season until he was traded at the trade deadline. But they they could Mike get Zunino, a lot of home no, runs. If, yeah, well, absolutely. Mike Zanino is an improvement over other catchers they've had, and and you know possibly J two Real Muto still out there, and the right. Rays may you know have a shot at trading tremendous, for him tremendous defense. The yeah. power could go yes. gone. I mean, you, you just because you lost CJ Crone, yeah. but then. You know, somebody else may pick that up. No, you get G-Man for the whole season, which you didn't have last season. You traded for him. And I still so. think they're they're not done. I still think oh, they're no. not done. No, no, this roster is going to look – there's still going to be a lot of different players coming in and some going out before the season begins, mm-hmm. absolutely. Agreed, agreed. So, but, I, look, I think – could they get back to 90 wins next season? Yes. I, I think the hitting has to continue to be, you know, putting them together in bunches to, to create crooked numbers on the board. Right. All right, our final question for this mailbag comes from Steve, and he asks, do you think that a new president at USF will shorten Charlie Strong's leash, or does that matter? And do you think UCF's success will push USF, or does that matter? Uh, great questions. I, I, well, I mean, the new president didn't hire Charlie Strong, so off the top there's not the emotional investment that he has in that decision. Well, remember the um, athletic director didn't hire, hire Charlie Strong either. No, he didn't. No, he did not. So you got two, two new bosses. So it's anytime. Look, as I've learned, um, I managed to survive some regimes. But anytime there's changes, changes could mean could mean they got their own guys and they, they want to do certain things a certain way. Um, 
look, Charlie's going to rise or fall based on whether he wins. And if UCF uh, doesn't raise the bar for USF when they've seen what they built over there in Central Florida, then there's a problem because they got every resource that, that and then some that UCF has. So they it should make them better. You know that that um, sort of level of, uh, of you know, twenty. I'm not talking twenty five wins in a row better. Um, but you know that to compete in this division or this conference, you're going to have to beat the guys to the north, and that's quite a rivalry. So, yeah, it should it should make them better. I think what's going to make them better is the offensive coordinator. Um, as we speak now, I don't know what the status of it is, but it looks like Kerwin Bell um, might be a guy that's uh, going to end up you know, calling plays here in, in Tampa with, with USF. So um, they, they definitely need to, you know, Charlie weeded out some players. I know he, he dismissed about 11 or so at the end of the year. He wasn't happy with, uh, you know, all the losses they had to finish the season. Um, so I, I don't know what his window is, but those two things, new president, well, you know, you're going to have new bosses all the time. But, yeah, you got to win. And then and then UCF, UCF's not going away. So, you, you know, they don't have Mackenzie Milton, but, um, you know, they, they still have Daryl Mack and, and uh, a really good program over there. So, uh, yeah, they better get on their horse here. They better get going here quick. Okay, some great questions in our mailbag segment. Of course, a lot of those about the Bucks coaching situation, which we will follow all through the weekend and early next week. My guess is this could take, uh, depending on who they hire. I mean, if you got a team that's in the playoffs, um, remember the Kansas City Chiefs don't play till I think like the twelfth. Um, so you know you could have a team go to the Super Bowl. I mean, it just depends on who you're going to hire. Um, but we'll watch these playoffs, uh, which will be good, I think, this weekend. And then uh, you got the Bolts in San Jose. That game begins uh, on Saturday at 11 p.m. Eastern. So stay up for that one. Make sure. Yes, you if you stayed up last night for the Lightning against the Kings, that was a 10:30 start. Now you got 11 o'clock Saturday night. That's right. So get some rest, and then we'll uh, yeah. And so busy weekend in sports. We'll be back here on Monday. And remember. Uh, go see my friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. I'm telling you, they're going to hook you up. And right now only, you get 20% off, an extra 20% off, all jewelry purchases. they got the best prices anywhere. Trust me, uh, that's where you want to go for all your jewelry needs. It's where I shop, 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150. It's out there right by next to the uh, Penthouse Club. So for Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a terrific weekend, everybody. 